Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. I have a new book in my hand here. It's called Choosing Earth, Humanity's Great Transition to a Mature Planetary Civilization. And this book takes us on a journey that extends half a century into the future to explore our world in a time of unprecedented transition. And we're all feeling it. We're all feeling it. And to be honest and completely transparent, as I was reading the first 90 pages, I kept thinking and saying to myself, yes, but, yes, but. I would read a few more pages, holding my breath, and then thinking again, yes, but. And I, I recognized that what I was reading was perhaps something that I should feel more anxious or more sorrowful, more grief. Maybe I should have been weeping or even angry. I was, I was impatient and I was noticing myself continuing to say, yes, but I was uncomfortable and I was questioning and I was in resistance continuing to say to myself, yes, but my mind tried to rationalize the words. Okay, this is our trajectory. If humanity doesn't accelerate our understanding of a living cosmology of wholeness, if humanity doesn't wake up and evolve our consciousness and consciously evolve, if we don't reconcile and build cooperative communities that care about all life, this is our trajectory. And yet, Uh, If we move the way we move without greater coherence and widespread awareness, this was our trajectory. I was wanting to stop, I don't know how many times, and give my friend Dwayne a call. I said, wait a minute here. (laughs) But I continued reading. In one moment, I wanted to give the book to everyone I knew. And then literally in the next moment, I feared that they wouldn't continue reading past part two or part three. And then there was page 98. Page 98. I literally, I feel like crying right now. I literally began weeping and sobbing on page 98. Not for the previous pages. I finally broke open in a good way with three simple words on page 98. My resistance was met with my heart and my deeper lived experience and knowing. And those three words changed everything for me. I'll share those three words in a few minutes as our guest, Dwayne Elgin, invites you to actively shape your future and our future together rather than leaving us as passive victims of denial and delay we have the opportunity to choose earth now first i invite you to take a few deep breaths open your mind expand your heart and settle into your essential wholeness as i introduce Dwayne elgin 
He's an internationally recognized author, speaker, educator, and citizen voice activist. His books include The Living Universe, Promise Ahead, Voluntary Simplicity, and Awakening Earth. He received Japan's Goi Peace Award in Tokyo in 2006 in recognition of his contribution to a global vision, consciousness, and lifestyle that fosters a more sustainable and spiritual culture. Now, his new book, Choosing Earth, is right here, and it perhaps is the most important work he's ever done in his very full and rich, diverse life. So, Welcome back to the show, Dwayne. Julie, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining me and agreeing to do this um, two-part series on this book. It is an important book, and the message is um, poignant and yet ripe with so much potential if we get past those initial pages. Mm -hmm. And... Um, we're going to take a deep dive into those first pages. And as you know, um, I want to start with more of your experience and, and your bio here, Dwayne. But first, I want to ask you our traditional first question on the show today. As we're looking at choosing Earth, what does all things connected mean to this conversation? It's foundational. It's utterly foundational to recognize that we're not just separate beings here on this uh, planet. We're all interwoven, interconnected in a larger aliveness. And now that interconnection is becoming vividly important. Uh, we recognize we're all in this together. We're moving together through uh, a time of profound transition, unlike the Earth has ever seen before. Uh, but to make that transition, the foundation to that is to recognize that it is an interconnected world uh, in subtle ways, in more gross ways, but the whole spectrum, we're in this together. And it's time for us to step into that process, that evolutionary dynamic together. Mm. You bring through the word aliveness, and I used it in my intro. My regular listeners will go, oh, she said aliveness instead of <laughs> wholeness, because I usually do drop in that word and invite them to, to really settle into their essential wholeness. And I want to adopt the new word aliveness in my vocabulary, not the new word, but this new idea about our wholeness as our aliveness, this inherent aliveness. And I love how you bring that through every page of this book as the common denominator that can move us forward. So we'll get into that in a minute. Dwayne, your lifetime of work includes so much more than the 62 words I introduced you with. Can you please share more about your rich and diverse experience of research and developing solutions and advocacy and activism for the great transition stories? Your work can bring so much reality to this conversation and yet great hope if we really listen through that. And I want to bring in a quote before you before you do expand on your um, bio here, Dwayne, because you are the embodiment of a paragraph you wrote 
let me read it. You wrote, the most difficult challenge facing humanity is not devising solutions to the energy crisis or climate crisis or population crisis. Rather, it is bringing narratives and stories of the human journey into our collective imagination that can empower us to look beyond a future of great adversity and see a future of great opportunity. Dwayne, you should hand that out as your bio now. You are the embodiment of that. So, But tell our listeners who don't know you like I do a little bit about what brings you to this moment. And it can be a synopsis, but just weave in some of, of that rich history that you've been doing this for decades. You've been bringing this message forward for decades. Well, okay, Julie. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, let's see, in terms of my bio... I think one of the most important things I could share is that I grew up on a farm in Idaho and I'm a farm kid, um, deep down scratch under the surface of the degrees and this and that. Um, my, my, my sense of life comes out of years, uh, of working on a farm and that's really years of working in connection with nature and feeling a kinship. Uh, with nature. So that's the grounding. That's the foundation. And everything else on top is uh, extra uh, because the, the the foundation for my life and work has been uh, as a as a farm kid. And I tell people, you know, I'm still a farmer. And what I'm doing is planting seeds, uh, but they're seeds of possibility, seeds of hope uh, in the face uh, of a future that looks very challenging. Um, so uh, here I am. I'm still doing farming, uh, planting those seeds. But in between, uh, you asked about more of my bio. Um, I have a couple of degrees, uh, one from the... Uh, Wharton Business School, an MBA from the Wharton Business School, another master's in economic history. I worked for a couple of years on a presidential uh, commission looking 30 years into the future. That really opened my eyes to how um, uh, politics works at a White House uh, level. That was quite an education for a farm boy from Idaho. I tell you. <laughs> hmm. And... Uh, then after that, uh, I worked for uh, six years with the uh, Futures Group at a think tank in California, doing research on the deep future for the president's science, science advisor, the National Science Foundation, and so on. And that was all prelude to the work that I'm, I'm now doing, which is looking deep into a future of profound transition that goes beyond any of those degrees, any of that prior work that I've done, we're all uh, thrown into this new world together. Um, and we're all struggling uh, to to make sense of the world that we're moving into. So that's where uh, you mentioned stories. Um, so many people say, well, what is the, the future about? What is the story here that we're living into? Because the old story uh, of we're living in a essentially a universe of dead matter and empty space. Uh, we're just trying to survive here as best we can in this uh, non-living universe. Uh, it's a story of separation, as you understand so well, Julie. Uh, that story is 
losing its potency, its poignancy for for guiding our lives. What is the new story for taking us into this transforming future? Mm. And you walk the reader through the old story so well, and then you create um, some choices, some choice points, three scenarios. Yes. And then you really close that, I think, with um, not just the seeds that you've planted, but the germinating plants that are beginning to break soil. So I do want to promise the listener, if you stay tuned for part two, you're going to hear some amazing cultivation of the hope and, and the promise and where we're going. But I want to focus on the, the part that I was resisting. <laughs> and I, I wonder if you've found my three words yet. I'm not going to share them yet. I'm not going to share them with you or the listeners. And I, I wonder if you grabbed your book and opened to page 98 and said, what are those three words she's talking about? But I want to focus on this resistance because it's an important journey through the dark. And in your yeah. brilliance, you move the reader from one narrative, like I mentioned, into three scenarios and then expand the reader into the greater potential, which taps into our collective imagination. And I want to read a page from quote, um, or a page or a quote from page 30, where I literally, this book is now full of yellow ink. I stopped highlighting and just wrote in large yellow inked letters, OMG explanation. And so I'm going to read that. And then I want you to kind of summarize these these three pathways forward that we'll dig into all of that and where we're going on those three scenarios in a minute, Dwayne. But I want us to have a synopsis. But first, I'm going to open my book to page 30 and read you my OMG where I stopped mm -hmm. inking. Mm -hmm. You wrote, having used up the breathing room for gradual adaptation, humanity confronts catastrophic consequences if we don't respond swiftly to make sweeping changes in how we live on Earth. Within a few decades, large portions of the planet will no longer be fit for human habitation. Extremes of drought, floods, and storms will become common. Famine and disease will shake humanity to the core. Hundreds of millions of climate refugees will be on the move looking for places to live. The mass extinction of animals and plants will forever impoverish the ecology of the earth. Recognizing all this, we realize the options now open to us are starkly limited. And that's where I put OMG exclamation, put my pen down and had to just breathe. It was the beautiful introduction into your pathways but painful to hear. Let's speak a little bit about those realities because most of our listeners now are going, oh yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of that. We already are seeing that. And look at the pandemic and look at the, here we are in 2020. This is our turning point here. And then just briefly, if you would, Dwayne, give us a synopsis of the pathways and then we can dig into those a little deeper here in a minute. Okay. <clears throat> I think it's important for me to uh, acknowledge my own resistance, 
uh, my own difficulty in doing this work. And it is the uh, culmination of a lifetime of uh, research and inquiry. Uh, and uh, again and again, I had to stop and take a look at the uh, research. There are almost 40 pages of footnotes in this book. Um, so it's a deeply researched. It isn't just my the opinion off the top of my head. It's the opinion and, and insight that comes from decades of uh, research by uh, prominent scientists and others around the world. And it was it has been so confronting uh, to look at this. And it still is confronting to me. I still feel resistance at um, at the kind of future challenges that we're facing. But those are challenges that are that are going to raise us to a new level of humanity and that's one of the promises uh that i see uh i, I want to say to the to the uh listeners uh we're going somewhere uh this is not uh moving towards extinction unless we we let that happen the world is going somewhere we're going to a higher humanity to a higher maturity as a human family and so what we're speaking about now is a prelude to seeing that possibility and uh, julie you asked about the three pathways that i see forward uh we have used up our breathing room, uh, the window of opportunity for a gradual ad adaptation to the uh, to this to the incredible challenges that we face: uh, climate change, resource depletion, species extinction, and, and all the rest. So, the three futures that I see, the three pathways. The first is one of uh, of chaos and crash. As one that we're seeing in different parts of the world, not so much in, in developed nations, but in, in lesser developed nations that don't have the resources and, and uh, uh, that the we have to work with here. But it's a very likely uh, pathway for the entire earth if we, if we continue along with business as usual. In my estimation, that's where business as usual leads, chaos, crash, and the potential for the collapse of uh, global uh, civilization. The other, this a second pathway is that of authoritarianism. And authoritarianism empowered by artificial intelligence, which is extraordinarily powerful already, and it's just getting underway. And if we look at uh, countries like China, uh, India, Russia, and some others, they are using uh, artificial intelligence, the, the ability to uh, recognize people through facial recognition and such, the ability to follow every individual on, in a society of uh, a billion or more people you, looking at their cell phones and how they're using their cell phones to connect with other people. Authoritarianism is very, very real. So that's the second pathway. Um, the third pathway is the one that I really explore in more depth in this book, that of great transition. Uh, the transition basically from our adolescence as a species and into our early adulthood. Uh, and and we can we can explore that one at much greater uh, length. But so the, those are the three uh, crash and collapse authoritarianism uh, empowered with artificial intelligence, and thirdly, a, a pathway of great transition. Great. 
so um, I'm looking at those those pathways, and I just want to let the readers know that that after the break, we're going to dig in more deeper. But part three is brilliant. You expand on these. You you've split those three pathways. Um, well, you've split the the last pathway. Let's talk about that. You split the last pathway into decades. Yes. And sharing the major driving trends and then giving us a scenario as the decades unfold. And it's really genius. I, I literally, like I mentioned, broke into relief on page 98. And I'll share why after the break. But first, Dwayne, can you talk about the process of your writing part three and what you want the readers to take away. And then we can dig into it in, in much more depth after the break, but what, how, how did this format emerge? Because part three is really brilliant. And I think that the goal of really tapping into our collective imagination begins in this part. So how did this how did this process come forward in your writing? Well, um, so part three is looking at the uh, the stages of a great transition for the species. Uh, moving into our early adulthood or a uh, higher level of maturity. And um, as, as I indicated at the, at the outset, I've been doing futures uh, research my, my whole life uh, on the Presidential Commission and, and beyond. And so I've mobilized that uh, work to get inside of the, of the trends and dynamics that are impacting the world right now. And as I mentioned, there are, there are nearly 40 pages of footnotes. And so again and again, what I have done is to say, okay, well, instead of a, a broad sweep, let's look more specifically in a more particular way um, at these different trends and how they're showing up in the world. Um, and so it, it requires standing back. From first of all, from the the everyday way of I was looking at the world, and I brought three perspectives, three ordinary perspectives, but powerful perspectives into understanding what's happening. It was it was to look wide, to look beyond single factors such as uh, climate change and species extinction and so on, but to look bro broadly and to say, okay, what are all of these if we start putting them together? Secondly, to look deep to look beneath the surface of these outer trends like climate change, to look at the deeper realities of our values, our culture, our consciousness, the paradigms that, through which we look at the world. And then thirdly, to look long. Instead of looking uh, the next five to ten years, to look a half century into the future. And with a longer view, trends that are uncertain now become much clearer in the, in the long run. So, Currently, much of the uh, uh, work looking ahead is uh, what I would call narrow, shallow, and short. Uh, 
It looks uh, maybe one trend. It doesn't look very deeply. It looks shallow, and it looks the next five to ten years. But if you start just doing those three things, look wide, look deep, look long, that transforms our, our seeing of the evolutionary journey, and that was foundational then to writing uh, this scenario. And, it, and the scenario essentially says, okay, if we take the scientists at their word and all of this mountains of research that are out there now, and we just start allocating the insights decade by decade by decade, what's really developing? How much is population growing? How much is climate changing? How much is uh, migration uh, of people uh, growing? And just start accumulating those data points, those insights, those understanding, and let them reveal themselves. And so this scenario, Great Transition, is really uh, one that has revealed itself through uh, the mountains of research that are out there, but haven't been accumulated in, in the way that we were just describing, look wide, look deep, look long. Brilliant. Thank you for that, Dwayne. I'm looking forward to bringing more specificity for our listeners here after the break and and sharing my three words as well. So we're going to take a quick break. We are here with Dwayne Elgin, Elgin and the beautiful and yet um, perhaps difficult book to read, Choosing Earth, Humanity's Great Transition to a mature planetary civilization. We will be right back. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I might look like an adult, like a person who could possibly be a parent, but I have no idea how to talk like one. And everyone knows that if you want to be a parent, you have to sound good when you say things like, Don't make me turn this car around, or Because I said so, or Don't make me come back there. I don't even really know what those things mean, but I know that I actually believed my parents when they said them to me. How did they manage to sound so convincing? Here we go. Don't make me come back there. Oh, no, that's not tough enough at all. Kids can sense weakness. Don't make me come back there. Ooh, yeah, that's better. In fact, that kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to listen to you practice your dad voice. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit adoptuskids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. When you have breast cancer, these are some of the first words you hear. HER2 new oncogene, ductile carcinoma in situ. What do they mean? How can you decide what to do if you can't even say what you have? This is Olivia Newton-John. You can go to breastcancer.org, a special place on the Internet where you can learn how to say all those medical words and find out what they mean. Understand your diagnosis and your treatment options. Breastcancer.org, the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. Arr! We be under attack. Man the long knives. Prepare to be boarded. Arr! Flagship starboard bow. What? No, not by the enemy flagship. By garbage. Me beautiful ocean be full of it these days. It flows in from rivers and drain pipes. Many of folk don't know that when they throw trash on the ground, it eventually makes its way into the ocean. How can I enjoy Sail Me Bonnie Seas with all this trash in it? Why, there's soda pop bottles, plastic bags, even stinky leftover takeout. Fire at will, men! 
Lend us a hand by always recycling and disposing of your trash properly. If you don't, I'll make you walk me plank. <laughs> nah, just kidding. Seriously though, learn more what you can do to keep the oceans healthy at keepoceansclean.org. Brought to you by the Keep Oceans Clean Alliance and the Ad Council. So, you know, I'm a dog, and I'm kind of new to this family, but I've noticed a trend. My humans do this thing where they go around and get all my toys and hide them in this basket, but it's always the same basket, and it's always the same place, and then they act so surprised when I find them, but I'm like, hello, that's where you put it last time. Humans are the worst at hide-and-go-seek. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on my Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I invite you to be a more conscious, courageous, and compassionate co-creator of this beautiful, healthy world we depend on. Come work with me. There's lots of different ways you can do that, and you can check out those opportunities at juliecrawl.com. I am here with Dwayne Elgin, and he's the author of the brand new book, Choosing Earth, Humanity's Great Transition to a Mature Planetary Civilization. You can check out so much more about the book and what he's up to with this book by going to choosingearth.org. Again, that's choosingearth.org. And Dwayne, I can't decide. I'm going to get your opinion. I can't decide if I should reveal the moment where I broke into tears or if we should dig into those scenarios of the stages of those seven decades first. What do you think? Oh, we should we should go to the tears, Julie. Go to the tears <laughs> because uh, I have felt that so much in my own life writing this book. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> And I, I have a sense of where you might be going with that, but I'd like to hear it from you, and then we can speak about that, and then come back and fill in uh, the journey to getting there. Great. We'll do that. So um, I'm in part three, and I'm reading through the scenarios decade by decade, and the the scenarios are brilliant, and they, they talk about um, – global warming, water scarcity, food scarcity, climate refugees, species extinction, world population, economic growth and breakdown, economic inequalities. I mean, it just, so we're going decade by decade. And this is where I'm going, yeah, but, and then it's like, oh, more of this right in my face. And I'm like tensing up talking about species extinction in this decade. Then we're talking about it in that decade. And I keep going through these scenarios. And in highlighting, there's a lot of beautiful poetic quotes in here too. Dwayne, you're a brilliant writer. So there's there's the factual parts of the 40-some pages of cited material. And then there's beautiful poetic words that tie the story together. But I get to... Really, it started on page 97, 
and it's lessons from the great transition scenario. So I read this quote. Once we see what lies ahead in our social imagination, we don't have to enact this future in reality, in physical reality. By mobilizing our capacity for collective imagination, we can consciously envision where we are headed and then choose a more promising pathway forward. So I, I highlight that, put arrows like, I'm going to talk to Dwayne about this, and I turn the page to 98. And it's a beautiful, there's four paragraphs here saying, okay, we don't have to wait. Here we are. Now we can work together. And there's three words in bold. We can instead digest that reality and act creatively now. We can da 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 now. And our species can do and grow up and be more and da 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 now. Three all cap words now, now, now. And it ends by visualizing the practical changes required for a great transition. We can swiftly move to realize that pathway ahead. That is the focus of part four that follows. And I have this big yellow arrow in that and my eyes are playing really a fun, it's like it's, it's blinking at me right now. Those three words, Dwayne, broke me into tears of going, yes, now, how do we amplify this? How do we get this vision out? How do we get everyone to really understand from this place of social imagination and really feel into even the most hopeful of those scenarios and go, but wait a minute, we don't have to wait. Perhaps we can accelerate the healing. This is really written in a whole systems perspective for whole systems health, whole systems healing. And that was my break open, Dwayne, of hope Great. and relief. And yeah, I just would love to have your your reaction to, to my experience on page 98. Great. <clears throat> well, it's my experience as well, uh, Julie. Uh, there's so much writing in the world that's saying, well, we're headed towards collapse, we're headed towards extinction. Uh, or on the other hand, well, just slow down, there's no problem, there's plenty of time. And I'm saying, no, we're out of time. And we do need to choose between um, a future of promise and one of great peril. Uh, and the thing is, we, we have all the tools that we need to choose uh, our maturity, to choose a more sustainable and surpassing uh, future. Uh, there's no need to wait. Uh, there's no need to enact this, um, these challenges in physical reality if we can imagine them in our social media, in the, in the visual media that we have. So uh, we already have the tools to wake ourselves up if we will simply mobilize uh, those tools on behalf of a more promising uh, future. But, it, for example, the mass media uh, in the United States, for example, we watch a billion, more than a billion person hours of television each day, a billion person hours a day. Now, what if we were using that the extraordinary tool 
to uh, invest a billion person hours in looking at our collective future on this earth. Uh, It's amazing what we could accomplish rapidly. Uh, What if we were not only looking, but also communicating with ourselves about our many and deep differences that that we've seen in this past election? Let's begin the process of reconciliation so we can come together and choose together a pathway that serves us as well as the well-being of life uh, on this earth. So uh, what what really is at the core of uh, our pathway ahead is to recognize how powerful we are right now. We have the tools of communication. We have the capacity of our collective consciousness to come together to heal the world and to move into a more promising future anytime that we want. It's going to take a tremendous amount of work, but nonetheless, the possibility is here right now. And it'd be like telling a teenager, an adolescent, look, you don't have to go through all of the uh, suffering and the turmoil and the difficulties uh, of most adolescents. You can choose right now to move into your early adulthood and all of the uh, attributes that that has. Thinking well of others, thinking of the future, thinking deeply about the life and what what you're bringing here. We can do that right now. So... Um, that's what ultimately comes out of this inquiry is the empowerment right now to choose our pathway ahead. And if we don't do that, then we fall back into the uh, scenario that I describe in detail here in the book over a half century. And it's really a, a pretty uh, simple description if you get underneath all of the data. And the stages are essentially that uh we would first of all move into a time of great unraveling. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. The the systems in the world are beginning to unravel. The economic systems uh, are, are beginning to unravel. The social systems, the, uh, the political systems, and so on, they're all beginning to unravel right now. Uh, then if that unraveling continues, the likelihood is that we're going to experience a great fall. From the great unraveling to a great fall, uh, because the unraveling uh, won't hold the system together, and we're going to fall into a time of um, great sorrow, great collapse, uh, then follows the um, the fall. And the sorrow is that of um, a time of great dying, a great burning as, as the heat overtakes the earth. Uh, and so it's the sorrow that then wakes us up potentially finally to the need for moving ahead into a more promising uh, future. It's been said that um, beyond sorrow, after sorrow is choice. And, and uh, we can enact that in physical reality, or we can see that in our social imagination, the sorrow that lies ahead if we don't choose freshly and as, as a higher possibility for humanity. But if we do choose, then we come to a time of great awakening to one another as, as members uh, of a human family. We're all in this together. And we can choose together then our pathway ahead into the far future. And that is then 
choosing Earth and saying, we will choose Earth together as our common uh, home. And um, that doesn't mean that the other pathways that I described at the beginning, the pathway of crash and collapse, the pathway of authoritarianism and so on, are, are gone. Instead, it means that, that the center of social gravity are leaning into the future. We're leaning into the future based upon our understanding of deep interconnection and, and the potential to make a promising transition into a future where we're working together. So uh, it's really a simple uh, scenario that's, that's pretty um, understandable, particularly if we put it back in the language of, uh, well, how is it for an adolescent to grow into their adulthood? Often that's a very challenging, very difficult process, but we can um, we can go through that rapidly and uh, in a transformational way as a human family uh, if we will mobilize our tools mostly of, uh, of communication to visualize and uh, communicate our way into that more promising future. You know, Duane, I'm, I'm thinking of um, Dr. Elizabeth Satoris was on my show last week, and, and as you're writing about the transition to a mature planetary civilization, I just want to drop this in, and <clears throat> I do love um, how you talk about the magnitude of tragedy and suffering of the great dying transforms the heart and soul. It's almost like it's getting us ready. It's like, hello, we have to wake up. But as you talk about the, we're in adolescent, I would love to hear you speak about um, how you do talk about an adolescent does this and we as a humanity does this. But with Dr. Satoris, she, um, she said with all of her study over billions of years of, of species on this planet, that all evolution moves from this stage of adolescence into the next evolutionary stage. So we're moving from a stage of consumption and competition and everything that's created this great crisis of where we are at into a species that is cooperative, that grows up, that matures and knows how to cooperate, not just because it's the nice thing to do, because it it conserves energy, it works better, and that literally we become cooperative communities that do care for all of life. So it's not just a great idea that Dwayne Elgin writes about on, we get to choose this, but it is conscious evolution where the impulse of evolution in every species has moved the species from this adolescent stage through to this new cooperative model of a mature adult. Can you, can you put side by side that, I don't remember what page it was on, but you talk about the adolescents go through this and this is who we are as humanity going through these same things. Yes, this is, um, this is a very important conversation. Um, let me summarize it briefly in the following way. Uh, when I go out and I give talks uh, to people, I will stand up in front of an audience. And before I say a word about my point of view, I will say, look, let me ask you a question. Simple question. What is the life stage of the human family? Are we behaving like toddlers, teenagers, 
adults or elders. Four possibilities, toddlers, teenagers, adults, or elders. And I'll say, uh, turn to someone you've never met, talk for a minute or two, and then we're going to take a vote. And people are stunned that I haven't said anything. I've asked them to share their point of view. And uh, typically the audience will just explode into conversation. After a couple of minutes, we stop, we take a vote. And I ask people, don't just raise your hand, take a stand, stand up for your point of view. And then I ask, well, how, okay, how many think we're in our toddler stage as, as a human family? And oh, maybe 5% of an audience will stand up. And say, so, okay, well, how many of you think we're in our adolescent stage? And with that, Typically, two-thirds or three-quarters of an audience of thousands of people, potentially, will stand up. And uh, people are stunned to see how much, uh, without any uh, invitation from me, they're looking at one another across the room. They're saying, whoa, we agree at this level that we're in our adolescence as a human family. And I'll say to them, <clears throat> you can forget everything else I'm going to say, but don't forget what you have just demonstrated by taking a stand for your point of view. We're in our adolescence as a human family. It's who's in, who's out. Uh, it's, well, we're in a material world and what matters is matter. Uh, what am I consuming? How do I look? Uh, and so on. Now, if we move that small step, and we've done this, that's where I take heart. We, billions of people have moved from their adolescence and into their early adulthood. They know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, they've experienced it. This is in, in our bones. We know what this uh, challenging transition is about. So I say, <clears throat> look, turn to someone, you, uh, uh, someone else there in the audience and tell them what happened for you in moving from your adolescence to adulthood. And the stories that come out are incredible. They say, well, it was a brush with death. I see that uh, we only have a short time here. Um, and so on. There, there are all of these impacts on our lives that are maturing for us. So we as a species could have our own brush with death. Maybe that's what it's going to take, uh, uh, coming to the edge of collapse and even extinction for us to then step up to our early adulthood and our care and our well, our care for the well-being of all life, uh, not just human life, but all life, because the integrity of our life here on Earth depends upon the well-being of all life. So. A key point, uh, Julie, is that we already have resident with our own life experience, the, the knowledge, the insight, the understanding required to move ahead right now into our early adulthood as a uh, as a uh, planetary civilization. Yes, thank you, thank you. And in a part of of the timing is here we are at this this precipice. Of, of literally conscious evolution here, choosing adulthood and choosing Earth as our home. And you talk about some push and pulls, pushed by dire necessity and pulled by compelling opportunity. And I love that idea of um, helping us look at the dire here, but also that, that this impulse of evolution is moving through us and I just let me let me just drop this in Dwayne and, and have you 
um, expand on it because I've been talking a lot lately. This is what's moving in me is that it's time to step into our evolutionary purpose, not our soul's purpose. It's like, you know, we went through this adolescent stage on the planet and in our ego and separation, we all defined our soul's purpose, our heart's desire. It's like, oh, I want to do this. But in that process, it's been good. We've, we've learned our gifts, our talents, what we can share. But it's now time to take what that soul's purpose is and align it with this evolutionary purpose and make it be our own, that it's time to really step in as one cell within the planetary body or one cell within the cosmic body and really activate that evolutionary purpose within us, that that not only our thought, words, and deeds align with that evolutionary purpose, but something deeper and broader in that push-pull becomes that evolutionary impulse itself. Yes. Uh, That's foundational to um, the whole book, uh, what you're raising, uh, Julie. And that is, uh, it's to raise the question, what are we doing here? (laughs) What are we doing here as a human family? And then to step back and say, wait a minute, where are we that we even ask that question? Uh, Where are we that we ask that question? Uh, The indigenous cultures have uh, three wisdoms and three miracles. Uh, The first miracle is that anything is here at all. Uh, The second miracle is that living things exist, plants and animals and so on. And the third miracle is that living things exist that know they exist. That's our ability to be conscious of being here. Now, the problem with that is we tend to forget the first miracle, that there's anything here at all. But when we go to that first miracle of, of life itself, of the universe itself, what we see is not mostly dead matter and empty space, but increasingly through the lens of science and spirituality, we're seeing a new sense of, of, of it all. And it is that it's alive, that we live in a living universe. And in the past few hundred years, we've been assuming, well, it's mostly dead matter and empty space. And what I'm trying to do is struggle for survival in a dead universe. And then it's going to take a miracle to uh, save me uh, when I die, because it's essentially dying into deadness. Uh, The new paradigm says, no, uh, where we are is in a living system. It's a living universe. And this is the indigenous knowledge brought onto the modern era through the lens of science. And it says, okay, it's a living universe. And our job then, our invitation and the possibility is for us to learn to live in a living universe. What an extraordinary journey. That's an amazing transformation uh, of of potential, of possibility uh, that say to people, you're a a part of a larger aliveness. You're not only biological, you're a part of the cosmos. You are biocosmic as a being. And your job is to learn how to live in that larger aliveness. That opens up worlds of possibility uh, that I then explore there at, 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 towards, towards the end of the book. Yeah. So we're going to move on our next show. We're going to talk about um, there are eight really 
evocative, insightful, insight with a C um, segments that that move us into that creative evolution and that that choice, choosing Earth and and the conscious evolution. And oh, and we neglected to talk about both of us going crazy, Dwayne. So we might have to do that <laughs> next time. <laughs> but I do want to drop in this one piece um, because I think it's really important for this conversation today, and then give you an opportunity to um, just kind of give us a preview of the next show that we're going to do. But you did write about embracing the feminine archetype which tends to be more open, allowing, forgiving, and integrating, and really supporting people in moving beyond the, the separative and competitive mindset of the right. previous era and advancing who we are as cooperative consciousness. So we do, you do talk about the feminine. A lot of our listeners will be happy to hear that you do talk about the yes. feminine. But in two minutes or less, can you just give us a preview of what's coming, um, how for me, some of your seeds that you've planted are sprouting into um, through the earth with hope now. And I, I do want to leave our listeners with hope before we close. Okay, great. Uh, in looking at the last part of, of uh, this book and my visioning of the future, um, it isn't to say that the material changes are, are primary. Uh, actually, they're very, very important, but they're not foundational. They're not primary. The Turning towards aliveness is primary. Uh, if we recognize the aliveness in nature in one another and so on, that's transformative. If we wake up to that, not only individually, but together we wake up to that. If we move into a time of collective consciousness and collective healing, that's transformative. If we then from that space come to a place of, of intending reconciliation, intending to learn how to live together across all of these deep divisions that we're now seeing in the world. And if we begin to use our tools of communication from social media to the mass media and so on, not to distract ourselves but and entertain ourselves so much as to inform and awaken ourselves to new possibilities. And then out of that, learn to live together in new ways in community. How can we come together in new ways that honor the aliveness of that living universe that we're seeking to live within? And then from that, say, well, maybe if we moderate uh, our material consumption, learn to live more simply and sustainably, uh, we won't have the conflicts that we've had in the past. And if we, could, we can begin to choose realistically, authentically, our pathway, our pathway into a promising uh, future. Those are the kinds of trends that the kind of themes that are developed there in the latter portion of the book. Mm. And we are going to unpack that in the next show. Dwayne Elgin, thank you so much for bringing this much to us today. It's, it's so big and so important. I appreciate you bringing your message. Thank you, Julie. And I want to leave you listeners with another quote from Dwayne. As we learn to recognize our experience of aliveness, and as we encounter the aliveness at the foundation of the universe as felt experience, as life meets life, a window opens and there naturally arises awakening experiences. When our experience of aliveness connects with the greater aliveness at the ground of all that exists, we recognize as direct experience that we are part of a great wholeness of life. This is who we are.
both a unique expression of aliveness and an inseparable part of the greater aliveness. We are both a unique biological aliveness and an inseparable part of the cosmic aliveness. We are both biological and cosmic in nature. We are biocosmic beings. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.